Anthony's new book is out, Unstuck, a life manual on how to be more creative, overcome your obstacles, and get shit done. Check out anthonymindel.com unstuck to sign up for updates, promotions, and get your copy of Unstuck today. Hi, everyone. I'm Anthony Mindel. Welcome to In The Moment, a podcast about acting, art, and life, and that tricky little thing we're all after but rarely find ourselves in, the moment. In this series, I talk to all kinds of creatives and friends about the joys and the ah, heartache and challenges of acting, writing, producing, and getting out of our own ways to be the creative channels we all are. For more information, go to anthonymile.com, and you can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Okay, I hope you enjoy. In today's episode, Anthony interviews actress and AMAW Atlanta studio head, Caitlin Chesna. The two talk about navigating and exploring creative expression during the strike, Caitlin's personal journey from pre-med to the theater, and how practicing mindfulness creates growth in life and acting. Hello, everyone. It's an early morning here with my beautiful friend and amazing actress and teacher and inspirer. Wow, and take it. Fairy nymph workout <laughs> goddess, <laughs> Caitlin Chestnut. Hey, thanks for having hey, me. Thanks for being here. You're, you're looking all bright in your yellow shirt. Trying I to uh, produce some sunshine, right? Yeah. In, in, so you're, you're in Atlanta. I am. And you are the driving force behind our beautiful AMAW Atlanta school. It's pretty beautiful. I have well, to. Well, so much credit goes to you and your posse there. Good posse. I mean, you're the origin story. And I just, I, I feel every day so much gratitude for the community that we have. It's like last night, we took a big uh, group photo after class and. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just such every time we have class, it's just such a reminder to me, like no matter what's going on in the world, the planet's boiling, AI's taking over, whatever, we're striking. Um, community, connection, creativity, laughter, joy, all that stuff, like that's that's the jam. So it's not to say that we don't have work to do, like as a species, whatever, but nothing can take away that. Yeah, you know? yeah, I do know. I taught an intensive this weekend and I felt the same way. It was so, I just was so jazzed coming out of there and feeling like I can do anything. <laughs> we can solve all the problems yes. of life, <laughs> right? But, but I do think, you know, for me too, I mean, I've realized this throughout the years. It's also challenging, right? Because I think being in a really, like you said, a creative community and a space that's all about connection and we, we are living in a bubble and <laughs> it's important that we have that, right? Sanctuary, church, uh, you know, just a place that's sacred, but it doesn't, I think for me, I've had to keep re- uh, adjusting to the fact that the rest of the world does not really navigate that way. <laughs> yeah. 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 It can be a shock to the system, you know? Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, just going home to my family in Chicago, it's, uh, it's almost like, yeah, just a, a reminder that's or even just slightly outside the community. You know, like I have friends that have become friends because they, they were students, maybe former students. And for whatever reason, life takes them outside of acting, outside the community, they're stepping away from it, all, all the things. And even people like that just have stepped away from the community, gosh, uh, the viewpoints and just seeing the world from a very pessimistic place, which I, I, I get, I get that. Um, I feel that it is, even though it is a bubble, when we're outside in the world, navigating our way through all, all that's going on, it's nice to have that, that touchstone or like that place to come back and like, oh, at least this is a space, a safe space where I can be creative, be expressive, be connected, lead from my heart. And it's 
good because then I go out there and I'm in the race of everything else. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where no, I agree. I wonder like what you just said, it makes me think like, I don't know how people get through life without some sort of touchstone. It could be church, it could be a support group, it could be therapy, it could be, you know, uh, a recreation center where you're, you know, you have, I mean, I would imagine, yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, it can also be athletics. I know a lot of the guys at all of our schools, they play basketball, basketball is a, you know, basketball league. A lot of the Aussies that I teach are part of a basketball league. But anyway, uh, yeah, like I think you really have to have something or the world can be kind of bleak, you know? I 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it. I mean, I thank God for it every day. Like, I don't know. When things get chaotic or crazy in the world, and they kind of always are, but it just seems more like COVID was a thing. And then it felt like, oh, we're getting, things are starting to go back to normal. And then, no, it's not normal. There's all the, the strike and the, the planet. And it's just not, I feel like there's just been this huge shift, this huge transition of more anxiety, more disruption, more chaos, more entropy. For me, every time it feels like that lately, I just have going back, I, I've loved going back to simplicity like thinking about the things that really matter, matters of the heart, stuff like that. Um, this morning on my run, I was listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast and he was interviewing Jack Cornfield. Mm -hmm. And just listening to Jack Cornfield talk about consciousness and awareness and loving kindness and oh, like it just made me feel so good, you know? And it's not, you know, it, it it seems again really reductive or maybe simple but love is the answer and that just i can be there and i can be like yeah yeah it is but i was just gonna say and then i want to hear a little bit about your journey but you know i was thinking about this the other day because i've been teaching for almost 30 years jesus and when i here's the thing about being human right like you mentioned covid homo sapiens have this really uncanny ability to forget. And I think maybe that's a beautiful thing because although it can also be a dangerous thing because we revert back to just old ways of being, which as we know, historically, this is why, you know, uh, there are reminders about, you know, like during world war two and the concentration camps, you know, we will never forget like this whole aspect of trying to remind people of, horrific events in the past so that we don't repeat them but we do forget right oh, yeah. so I guess my but at one at another level I guess I feel like it is a preservation technique because life continues and we just get on with it and so when I was thinking about all the hardships that kind of we've lived through globally in the past 30 years that I've maybe addressed in class or whatever I don't know if this is that much different than anything. You know what I mean? It's it's the continuum of life on a rogue planet. I mean, I do think the climate crisis is is a bit makes everything a bit more uh, oh whoa like imminent. But um, you know, at some level, we're going to get to the next level of whatever that means anyway. Even though it may be disastrous and awful for most people, but. So I don't know. I think in the interim, we just keep calm and carry on is the point. <laughs> yeah. 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 I had somebody reach out to me today, a, a friend, student, like, oh, you know, I posted something. I reposted something from Erica Bream about strike updates. Just, right. you know, yes. strike updates. That's it. Yeah. Like, strike updates. Of the scene. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, if, you know, and then I get a message in my you know dms like oh all yeah but they're they're canceling all these shows and they're gonna win in the end and actors are the ones that are gonna like they're gonna suffer and i'm just like it's all uncertain yeah we don't all, know all i know that things will change need right. to change will change everything is in a state of flux all the time everything is arising and passing away like i for me to get caught up in the minutia of of is this part right is this part wrong is it it's like 
look, I don't know all the answers and there is a lot of uncertainty and I don't know if they will win. Like, what does that even mean? But I do know, I do know that if I'm looking at my day today, that there's a part of my day that's going to be dedicated to my freedom of self-expression, to my creativity, to my creating things in the world that make me feel good. And the goal is to hopefully make other people feel good or feel something. And I don't know, like no matter what, I feel like storytelling is an essential part of being human. And no matter what people are going to tell story about what's happening right now, uh, and it, it's just going to keep going. I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, and with the whole AI conversation, I mean, haven't, this has been happening. Like, this isn't like, I feel like. It's already here. It's been here. We, live with, we yeah. live with the computers on our bodies 24 yeah. seven. No, for sure. Yeah. Like, I think the thing where you were talking about. Yeah. So much of our daily lives, like. Well, change right when your, your friend or your student sent you that note like change is so hard for people right like it's such a uh you know it triggers people in so many different ways it really brings up people's stuff and having to let go of you know expectations and ideas or the way we structure our lives and yeah I get it but but it is it is the only constant right it's right <laughs> constantly you know there's this Alita Adams song I don't even know if you know her but I listen I used to rollerblade around New York City and she was amazing. I used to rollerblade around New York City. Oh, you did? But that not listening to Alita Adams. But she has this song, Everything Must Change. Nothing stays the same. Yeah, it's really beautiful and true, uh, right? Impermanence. Impermanence, which I'm sure is what Jack Cornfield was talking about. Yeah, and it, well, and it's, I can honestly say something that being an actor has taught me is to expect the unexpected. I always, you know, tell actors in class, you know, take improv. If you feel like you're clinging to your ideas of something, take improv. Like, because every moment you're, you don't know what's going to happen next because nothing is scripted. And all of that is going to help you in your scripted work because everything between the lines is improv. Your feelings are improv. Your right. behaviors right. are improv. Like everything else is improv. And, but that's like such a beautiful metaphor for life always. Like we're improvising, we're doing throughout the, all our, our whole day is improv. That's right. Like, I do agree that change can be really difficult for people. On, and I think twofold. The other thing I wanted to say when you were, that came to mind when you were saying that is like, what, acting has taught me but specifically also being in the creative conversation with you and since I've met you and being a part of your studio and everything you've created it is what meditation has taught me or mindfulness or expanding my awareness and my consciousness like everything that that I've learned starting from when I first started working with you I mean before that when I was living in New York it was the first time I started meditating and and doing kundalini yoga and, and, and diving, like doing more of a deep dive in what my mind and consciousness is or what that means to me or how I relate to it. But man, is that making meditation and mindfulness and breath work and all of that more of a daily practice for me has totally allowed me to do something that you told me to do a long time ago is just to trust my life and trust the process yeah because life well, my is thing, yeah right wait say that again life is going to keep lifing <laughs> yeah that's right until it I, until it doesn't i love i mean i borrow some of your sayings all the time i love what you just said about feelings are improv because you're right they're unexpected and they're happening in the moment and i might borrow that but don't worry i'll give you credit like i do i don't I talk worry about, about it no 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 but that's so great caitlin you you impart so much wisdom to your students about i always use uh when i'm talking about those blasted breakdowns of the character descriptions and how you are like it's interchangeable like a you know an astrology okay. <laughs> like a, 
Yeah, like your astrological description, your horoscope. Well, you can take your horoscope for the day and make that horoscope. your character description. That's right. That's totally it. Your horoscope for the day. But wait, <laughs> I was going to say, yes, I feel like for me with you, I always just talked about, and that's interesting that you do, you're more meditative now, but I always, always, because you, you were so kinetic, you still are, but trying to get you to sit, just trust that you could like, create a bigger vessel to just sit in stuff so you weren't so all the time you know what I mean oh I do know what you mean <laughs> I still but, tell people I'm a hamster and I need my wheel every day that's right. it's true you are like you and Daryl work oh my god you guys are I love that you were like I went for a run already today of course you did we went how much together. how much did you run for 5.1 miles. Not Are that you serious? Oh, not that long. Get out of town. Nice. Because if you wait, like it's, you know, so oh, hot. It gets too hot. You, you got to get it in early if you're going to get it in. Yeah. Wait, so what time do you go? Oh, no, no. It wasn't, it wasn't that early because we taught last night and it was okay. nice. Um, no, no. We went like around eight. Around yeah, eight. Okay. Yeah. Five. I, like, I love your like. Five miles, it's not too long. No, I want to work back up to half oh. marathon, but I, yeah, every time, like, we've gotten, I've gotten closer. I, I love running. It's, that's, again, that's one of those inflow. Uh, it, it just feels like inflow, man. It's beautiful. It's moving uh, every year. You're, yeah, when you're running outside, you're, everything's changing, right? You're, it's, again, yeah. constantly in change. And I have this weird, uh, Thing that happens to me sometimes like today I'm, I'm running over this bridge and you see a, you're, it's running over the freeway and you're seeing all these cars and I'm like oh metal cells and a metal capillaries and it's just everything's in, you know the city it's all metal it's like all it's like and that's when I had that thought like we're already all like half metal like half oh like, yeah like, you know like no, it's it's what crazy. Was the, oh gosh, what was that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do another Google search. Uh, 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 do you ever? Oh my gosh, um, do you remember the movie? This was like going on over ten years now, and then the artist did a follow up, and it's kind of like it's not even a documentary. It's all scored to music, and it's all about mankind's destruction of the universe and it's kind of beautiful and really heartbreaking and sort of the metallic you know the yeah the sort of taking over of the natural world into something that's robotic and ai do you know yeah. what i'm talking about i, I don't i don't uh, all right, I'm gonna... it, send it in the chat or something like i because i literally what came to mind my next thought after i thought that was Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle. But I feel like ever since the Industrial Revolution, when we started, you know, creating coal and steel and machinery, it's just little by little more of that the world's become, our oceans are full of plastic, everything is concrete and metal, and we're just getting more and more, like you said, robotic, computerized machine, as opposed to, leaf plant earth soil maybe we should switch gears and do a radical u-turn because i'm feeling like yeah let's do it yeah everybody's gonna be like lord jesus i listened to that caitlin and tony podcast they were talking about the metalization of human <laughs> <laughs> so depressing no i think it's all interesting things to contemplate and also for me reminds me of like well what do i want to do now how do i create that which i think you know, the world needs or wants to see or can be a little healing part of what is our offering to while we're here. You know what I mean? So I think it's not negative. It's just sort of how do we take, how do we take the challenges that we face and make something beautiful out of it? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. So Kelly, you, yeah, go uh, ahead. No, I was going to say that's something like, uh, I've talked about this too in class. I mean, while there's been the strike, it doesn't, it's a beautiful time to say, well, where, what are the creative things or the, like my creative offerings that I've been putting on hold because I have 
self tapes and I have this and I have that. Like it's a time when if I, if I'm not getting the same amount of theatrical, like film and TV auditions, I mean, commercially, I literally have like a commercial audition a day. So I can't, I can't even complain there. I like, I'm still, things are still right. busy, but I collaborated with a, um, another actress and she, she wrote a short that she also was the lead in and she asked me if I would direct it. And, and now we're in the editing process and we've been crowdfunding for post-production oh, wow. yeah. and it's a beautiful story. And, and the moment that I first like read it with her in my kitchen, you know, at the table, I was like, I, I, I love it. I think it's amazing. This story should be told. I think it will, you know, alter hearts and minds. And just like you said, be a creative offering, especially around some really challenging hard things, discussions, conversations around a woman's autonomy and connection to her body, abortion, uh, trauma passed down from mother to daughter to then offspring, just really important, poignant things. And it's been really nice to dive into something creatively with and collaborate with someone else and, and I don't know, putting my focus there again, changes my perspective on things. And I think if more of us did like, oh, what I can control the controllables. There's so right. little that I can control in the planet, in the world, in life, but I can choose to focus my energy towards something creative that I believe in, that I think will not only benefit me, but everyone else that gets to share in a piece of it whether that's, you know, teaching a class or gardening or um, writing a song or planting a tree or I don't know, but it, I agree with what you're saying. Like, and it's, that's been something that's made me uh, just if it has added a levity and a buoyancy and gives me something to look forward to. Like, as soon as I hop off this with you, I have to go scene by scene and give our editor you know, detailed notes uh, and our, our vision and sort of our, you know, what we're looking for scene by scene. And I'm excited to work on that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, it does speak to also maybe kind of said this tangentially, like, you know, during a strike, there are other aspects of being able to be creative and there is work out there still. Like there's, if you're non-union, there's non-union work that hasn't been affected. You can still audition for soap operas. You can, you know, there's uh, uh, commercially people are working still. There's certain digital contracts that are, you know, available. So I think, and, you know, and then there's the interim agreements that's created a lot of brouhaha, but, you know, um, I actually interviewed, uh, um, he's on the SAG negotiating team. So uh, Kevin E. West. So I, I think the podcast is coming out tomorrow and his, yeah. his, he's super knowledgeable about, you know, the thousand page contract that we're yes. fighting for. So I think it will be helpful for people to, to not, you know, be doomsday about it. It's just something we have to fight for. But tell me a bit about like your journey. You started in Chicago and then yeah. Um, okay. So I, well, I was born and raised in Chicago, but I was, I was on a different track. I wasn't, I didn't, I was, I was uh, brought up on the South side of Chicago and it was, it's very blue collar working class and I, no one in my family had ever had a creative career. Everybody like sold insurance and shit. So like, um, I, I was gonna, for me, getting out of that meant be a lawyer or a doctor. Be, oh, wow, yeah. Go to college. Um, I was the first woman in my family to go to college, graduate college. So I was pre-med. I was a bio major. Um, I did a neurology internship in my, you know, junior into senior summer of college. I just was on a different track. I, I, I realized from a very young age, well, fourth grade was my first play in school. And the first time I like made an audience laugh and I was like, hooked. I was like, oh yeah, this is the jam. And, um, and so I was always, that was my outlet. I would do school plays or I was also in the choir and I was in the acapella group and I was in the thespian theater club. Like I would do all that stuff, but I was a straight A student. 
I was super like anal when it came to getting good grades because in my brain, it was my way out of what I saw my family do. And um, so once I graduated college, I had an opportunity to go to New York, flown to New York. I got to stay at the Four Seasons. I got a penthouse suite to myself. Like it's a crazy story for another, for drinks or some sometime. But um, because I had been doing theater stuff and uh, as my outlet all through even high school and then college, um, when I had the opportunity to go to New York, I had a big moment of, I need to be here. I need to be in New York City. I need to study acting, do acting, whatever that meant, because I really didn't know at the time. And put med school, because I had been, you know, studying to take the MCAT. I was, I was working at a hospital, uh, you know, writing my first like paper for a medical journal, working with a neurologist oh, wow. to get to make that happen. I just dropped all of that. And I was like, I'm moving to New York. Um, I'm going to save every penny that I can bartending. I bartended at a, a big nightclub in Chicago. I'm going to save every penny I can. I didn't know a soul in Manhattan. I didn't care. I moved there and I've never looked back. So I spent, mm, I did a two-year Meisner program, you know, start to finish, graduated from that in New York, got my first agents and everything in New York. And then one of my roommates, no, two of my roommates that I lived with in Manhattan had moved to LA prior to me. And I had, and one of them was like, you got to get here. Oh my gosh, you're going to love it here. There's so much, I'm so much busier here. I'm working more here. I can hook you up. And this is a crazy story. Like she was friends with at that time, Jack Nicholson's wife. Oh, <laughs> so wow. First moved to LA, I crashed at, he wasn't home, him and his wife, she was house sitting for him. And so I crashed at like Jack Nicholson's house. Like it was just like a crazy Hollywood story. Okay. Um, and then, so like, so then I moved to LA after like my first, I, I did like a ton of, you know, Tish and NYU student films. I did a few commercials. I got my first agent in New York, moved to LA. Again, I only knew those two girls and I wasn't really friends with them. Slept on the floor of another kid's house after that, because I didn't have an apartment yet. Took the bus to Beverly Hills to find a job. My first job was at a commercial talent agency where as a receptionist cut to I stayed in LA like a little over 17 years you wow. know married married divorced owned a house lost a house ran a business sold a business um you know well your your husband at the time was an acting actor and an acting teacher as well right yeah 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 he taught for Ivana Chubbick ah wow okay yeah. he was like one of her teachers and then at a certain point he broke away and I was I audited one of his first classes when he created his own studio I think there was like six students in that class and then I was oh, auditing. Uh -huh. I was auditing and um <laughs> then I was with him for like 10 years and, and we then you guys fell in love and then got married and then were, you were teaching at the school of his school for a while or yeah. yeah we created his school like right. I said I audited one of his first classes when he had like six students by the time we separated we had 250 students wow we had, we had a little we had a little theater company when we divorced I not only like lost that relationship but it devastated me because I lost my whole community mm -hmm. and and we had both, we both had the same manager who had been really good for me. And he, my manager, our manager basically divorced me too. He said, well, I have to, he's making me choose you or me. Um, he's not like, he's not happy if, he, if I'm representing you both and I have to choose him because he's making me more money. And so my manager dropped me. I lost my acting community, lost my husband, lost my house, my three dogs. It was just a big Oh, I didn't know all that. My life, my life blew up, right? My life blew yeah. up. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by We Audition. Receive 25% off with the promo code AMAW on weaudition.com. The video chat community to audition, rehearse, self-tape, and get advice. And hopefully book the fucking job. Enjoying In The Moment? Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us at Anthony Mindel and at AMAW Studios, plus all the worldwide accounts near you for updates.
So then I went to Leslie Kahn for a couple of years. And then Andrea Davis was like, you have to come audit one of Tony's classes. And that was what, 12 years the ago. rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm still, sorry, I'm still trying to find this movie every now and then. I'm like kind of going <laughs> back and forth. I never do anything like that, but I'm obsessed now because I know you'll know it, but I can't, I put in every search word imaginable, still not coming up, but uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And he well, passed this year. Did you know that? Did you know that? Say it again. My ex-husband passed and died. Yes, of course I did. I just wasn't sure how to bring that up on air. Oh. Yeah, because yeah, well, you were out here for the service, for the memorial. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. I was out there for the memorial. Yeah, I'm sorry for your loss. I know you guys were kind of estranged, but whatever. You, yeah, but we make amends. We were, we you were, make up. That's know. the thing, Caitlin. Life is too short to carry grudges and, and unforgiveness with people, right? Everybody is, we all make mistakes. We all, you know, given time and circumstances and where somebody is, you know, who knows? I don't know. It's... I think the thing about forgiveness is people's egos are so gigantic that it's hard to forgive and let go. People would rather like hold on to their position of being right. You know, even yeah. if you were right, if forgiving somebody doesn't negate your point of view. <laughs> they don't, they don't share your point of view anyway. So it's just so weird to me that I am, that's the challenge of being human. Right. Yeah. I heard a little anecdote today from Jack Cornfield, something like, um, I might get it wrong, but it's, here's the gist. You know, everybody has opinions. However, those of us that choose to continue to cling to our opinions will just go around annoying each other. <laughs> I was so like, true. oh, yeah. And that was said by the Buddha, what? 3,000 years, 2,500 yeah, 5, years ago. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it still holds true. Right. So yeah, it's been this thing of me, like I, even last night before bed, post teaching class, I got really annoyed and pissed off by a good friend right before bed. Just the perfect time to get angry. Right. Right before bed. And, um, this morning I, I I've been going back and forth. Do I confront this person and say, I feel upset by this thing and I don't want to, I don't want to have resentment toward you. So I'm telling you why I'm upset or do I just be like, it's fine. It's really not that big of a deal. Can I just let it go? Forgive in my heart and be like, well, I don't have to resent that person, nor do I have to hold on to it for myself. Is it really necessary for me to bring it up or can I just let it go like in the grand scheme of things can I just let it go do I need to have this conversation I kind of already had it in my head do I need to like and honestly I don't I really don't and I, this sounds so cliche but I that I feel that makes me feel so good that I can be at a place where granted if it was a, a bigger affront but I mean just looking at what it was and and well also people walk around all the time we're all walking around with minor you know injustices and disturbances and infractions in our mind that the the quote-unquote guilty party doesn't even know that they perpetrated like no. you know what i mean it might this have person been probably has no idea yes, that's just it that's what the human mind does that's what our you know left brain is constantly running on the hamster wheel of you know interpreting data in a way that works for the ego, but ultimately isn't really based in truth. It's why it's so, I don't know. I think, I think social media speaking of like technology and robots, like I think that has also created such um, a preponderance of, of that kind of thinking. I think like I always call it mob mentality or group yeah. thing or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so unnuanced and so not, you know, the complexity of what relationships are about, right? I always just say, you know, is your is your sense of peace, you know, your equanimity worth all the things that we're ruminating about in our head about someone? You know, you can choose peace. You really can choose forgiveness and peace, but yeah. it's much easier to blame, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And when we feel anxiety, right? When we're ruminating and we're feeling anxious about whatever the thing is we're feeling anxious about, if we can zoom out a little bit or a lot of it, if we can zoom out and just realize that the anxiety is coming from thoughts we're thinking, but, but have that momentary pause to realize we are not our thoughts. Yeah. Our thoughts are just arising and passing away. Uh, they're like little brain burps. Oh, it's a brain burp. And I can, cho- I can choose to create a whole story around it and cling to that story. Or I can realize it's, it, that's just one thought that's ta- like taking over my being right now. But I don't have to connect, I don't have to connect to it as, as, as much as I'm connecting to it. Well, I, I think know. that it keeps, yeah. I feel like the theme of today keeps coming back to Jack Cornfield's books and like mindfulness, I think. It's really easy to, to get ensnared by the conversations in our head that aren't based on truth, right? And, and that's everybody's job is how do we, I think just because we, I was saying that this weekend, like just because we think a thought doesn't mean it's true. It just means it's a thought that we're habituated over and over to, right? And so how do we find a space, a gap in our thoughts that gives us access to something else other than the hamster wheel of what we are always saying to ourselves, whether it's about another person, whether it's about ourselves, whether it's about the industry, whether it's about just life in general, you know, I, I feel uh, you know, if you change the way you think about the world, the world is going to change. And it's easy to really look at all the shit that's going on and be negative about it. Or I'm not being, I'm not a denial. I'm not about denialism. You can take a look at all the shit that's going on and choose to find a way that is more inspiring of how to solve a problem or offer aid or be in service. And then, and then it also, I think, gives one more hope, you know, about, where we are individually about the human situation, about the dilemma of being alive in the 21st century, but that's hard to teach too. You know, Caitlin, I'm working on another book. Oh my gosh, but I'm- Love it. I'm really excited actually. I I started mentioning it in class this weekend because a lot of the things that they had questions about, I'm like, I'm covering it in my new book. (laughs) (laughs) Called How to Act, How to Act, which will be like, my boyfriend's like, just call it how to act. It's going to be your opus on all things acting. But I'm, I'm trying to do a, a bit of a deeper dive on Stanislavski, right? Because I've been, I've been told that the real purity of what Stanislavski was trying to teach is very similar to our ethos. And I've read a few books on him. And then I was going back to do some research yesterday and was rereading some chapters. And, you know, he was so, he himself was trying to find the language for something that's so ineffable. And ultimately, the Stanislavski that we know of, that's so much of the American outgrowth from the method and that movement in the 30s and 40s and 50s came from his teachings, but they were really not his teachings. They were kind of co-opted by the Stalinist government. They became more scientific and theoretical as opposed to something more ephemeral and spiritual and soulful. And he was, you know, I love when you said feelings are improv because he would not allow his, his, you know, I mean, they basically had their own theater company. So his troupe, when they were rehearsing a play, he would not allow them until the very last minute to work off of memorized lines. He would, everything would be based on an improv Mm -hmm. uh, according to the situation of the scene. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, they would improv it. And then he would start to feed them their actual lines to sort of congeal with the way that they were improving it. So by the time they memorized the line, just through that organic process, the lines felt as if they were coming out of the person's mouth for the first time. I love that. Yeah, it's really, it's not based on the sort of scene analysis kind of, um, I mean, sure, you know, they knew what the situation was, they knew what the circumstances were, but it was all about the sort of the psychology of the actor and how to put yourself in that situation and then say it in your own words. I'm kind of really saying it in a very modern twist, but but the last point, I don't know how I got on that, that track, but... Uh, 
I don't know, it just speaks to kind of where we are a hundred some years later and acting has evolved, but it hasn't evolved that much. Or maybe the purity of acting, which we're always, every teacher is trying to find and some find it maybe better than others is it's a, it's much more uh, subtle and, and thinly, you know, it's just so much, I was saying this weekend, like, it's like a filament, like this idea of what we think acting is and what it really is, it's just such a thin line and you don't have to do so much, right? But it's also, but but people want real tangible, if I do this plus this, it will take me to that. Right. But there's no such thing. No. So I went off on a tangent, but I don't know how we got on that subject of. I love it. Well, you were talking about, you know, writing writing your your book which i'm excited i'm like so excited about well it's um, a long ways away but well you're at that something that i love about you and just knowing you is how prolific you are because that's super inspiring constantly to me and to oh, the thanks, people whose lives you touch no it's really true speaking of books i wanted to ask you um if you read rick rubin's book the the creative oh, I act. do I have it yes because so many people are like Tony he's saying exactly what you teach yes when I yeah. read it I was like y'all you need to have each other on each other's podcast like ASAP it's true it's does maybe I should check if he has a podcast I've seen him on other people's podcasts he does, he does have a podcast he has oh, his okay. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get Angel on it today no, seriously, when I'm reading it, I'm I'm like, whoa, this is what I've been trying to teach actors for 30 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Caitlin. Yeah, it, it's it's inspiring and uh you know, he's you know, to our listeners, Rick Rubin is a famous music producer and he's just talking about how creativity and and accessing our creative gene is a lot more esoteric and random in a way than it is a linear thing. And it's more based on instinct and trusting your gut and getting out of the outcome and stop worrying about what success looks like. And, you know, it's anathema to how everything in our culture works. This is why the real artist is always going to be an outlier in a way, because it's not a formula for selling 10 billion songs. It's just not. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we know that even, and, and selling 10 billion songs doesn't even mean that it's like artistically, well, first of all, it's all going to be AI driven. It's, it's getting there. I know. Yeah. So robots are going to be the new pop stars. But anyway, I think is, is trying to be more comfortable being in the process of something, which is uncomfortable. Again, it comes back to our human you know, tendency to be in control, to not want things to change, to try to grasp something that is at its very level ungraspable, you know? Yeah, yeah. Something that you said earlier about, you know, the, um, when you were talking about Stanislavski and and how I love that. I, I, I really, really love that he would wait to the very end to feed people their lines and really get people yeah. into the circumstances and improvising. And something that I always say, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm sure you say it, and I don't know where I got it from, but I'm always like life before lines. Like, what is the life these, like you're, you're putting yourself in these other people's circumstances that are called these other names, right? So you're living their life per se. So get into their life and see how it feels in your vessel and what comes to you instinctually through you being in this, these circumstances in this situation and this interesting relationship, let that life be bubbling up inside of you. And then the lines come from that. And mm. what a lot of actors don't realize is that the text will support and you say this all the time too, but the text will support whatever that life is that's bubbling up. Your left might, might be like, no, that won't fit this line. But then when you use our class, right, as an experiment, as a lab, as a lab, and that the experiment is, I'm just gonna let the life bubble up out of me and let the lines live from that life. And I trust that how the text is written will support whatever truth I'm feeling in the moment. Um, I would say 99% of the time, and that, that's not a real statistic, but um, <laughs> I'd say the majority of the time, almost always, I will say, people are so surprised, like, oh my God, I never even realized the scene could go that way, or this moment could go that way, or that the text would support this random thing or this, that I'm feeling in the moment. 
but very rarely, I, I can't even actually remember a time when the text isn't supported by the truth of the moment. And I think that's so freaking magical and so beautiful. Well, yeah. he, his, the, the grounding, sort of the, the, the foundation of all of Stanislavski's teaching was a Russian word called Perezvani, which means experiencing, like experiencing yourself, right? But that word was stricken from any of his, in, in the translation, there was a lot of, what I'm discovering is there was a lot of things lost in translation. You know, there were a lot of things scrubbed out. So that didn't even make it to an actor prepared. It didn't even make it into his final edits of books because he also wow. was, he was also dictating those books as he was very ill. It was toward the end of his life as Stanislavski, as Stalin was coming into power and Stalin in no way wanted a, you know, in Russia at that time, a well-respected theater director to be known for personal growth, psychology, consciousness, spiritual, wow. you know, yeah. I mean, they were, so that's what, when it became a system, quote unquote, that yeah. was really uh, co-opted by the Soviet government. So I don't know. I think it's really interesting if we just get back to the basics of anything, right? It's just, oh. it's much easier than we make it. Yes. Yes. Why can't we just let things be? <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. I, okay. So one more little book I want to share with you that a student, yeah, yeah. another student gave me, I'll shout him out, Neil Reddy. Um, <clears throat> oh, I like Neil. Yeah. Neil's amazing. Neil's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. he, he's done so he's much. Really well. Yeah, he's got a lot of work. Really well since he started at the studio. So amazing. Yeah. But he gave Daryl and I this book by Charlie Mac McKessie called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Oh, I, oh, I know it. Yes. I haven't read it, but I know it. Oh, oh wow. Really? It's, it's a very um, simple, simply told story, I would say. Okay. But the heart of this book is, again, like I said earlier in the podcast, I just getting back to basics, like you just said, um, not overcomplicating things, because the rest of the world right now, I feel is so complicated. Um, like I said, chaotic, just so much feels that coming back to something really basic that feels simple yet true has just been such a, an oasis for my mm -hmm. mind, mm -hmm. my mental health, my spirit, my mm -hmm. creativity, because no matter how much computer AI technology, no matter where that stuff goes, the basic human simplicity of wanting <clears throat> to love or wanting to be loved and to love someone else is, I don't know, it's majestic and awesome and it's bigger than everything. And it's, it's it reminds I don't know. Me of, I awesome. What you just said reminds me of Moulin Rouge. The greatest thing to you'll ever be is to be loved yeah. and loved in return. So true. Oh, yeah. I'm, totally <laughs> I'm such a sap man, but like. I know. He gave me this book, and then you know, I I read it out loud to two of my classes this past week. I I shit you not, dude. <laughs> oh, I believe it. That's so amazing. Tears. There were tears. Okay, I'll have to get it. Okay, Lynn, God, the time has gone by so fast already. We've just been talking about spirit, meditation, and getting out of our own way and simplifying. And but let's do yeah. our speed round, even though my I don't have. I don't have my speed round questions, but I think I can remember them. What's something you can't live without? Daryl. Aww. How long have you guys been together? It'll be 10 years uh, this coming year. So uh, nine and a half years. Hey, wow. What's your favorite movie? Oh, gosh. You know what pops into my head? Two movies, Training Day and Gladiator. I have, oh, I don't. Wow. <laughs> I did, did not expect that. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Are you not entertained? Is that not why you are here? Oh my gosh. Okay, got it. Who is your Hollywood crush? Oh dear. Greta Gerwig at the moment. Love her. Yeah, she's, and you know, her philosophies about working with actors is very on point of what we teach. Oh, I need to meet her. I love, I 
just, oh, yeah. I love. Yeah. I know. Lady I was Bird. like, I need to get her to come into the studio. She talks about acting with script in hand and about staying off of performance and like working more in the moment. And yeah. It's oh. like, yeah. What would you tell your younger self? You are enough. What would you, how would you define acting in one, one word? Presence. What's something you learned from AMAW? Uh, trust myself, trust my instincts. And what is your definition of love? Oh, that's a good one. Embracing all that arises. Oh, that is a good definition. We must love all that arises. Yeah. My definition is just this moment right now. Yeah. I love that. So I love yeah, you, Caitlin. I love you too. Love. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. You know, it's funny. Just right before we leave, I, when when we were having our our Zoom meeting with the teachers, and I was like, "Yeah," D Danny said that thing about the podcast. I'm like, "Yeah, me too." I totally was joking. And then when Angel sent me the email, I was like, "Oh no, he called my bluff." <laughs> I was like, "What am I going to say? I have nothing to I say." I would interview all the teachers uh, all over the world, but like none of them ever hit me up. And I'm like, can I be on your podcast? And I just, I was like, of course we should interview Caitlin for the Atlanta school. So Caitlin, uh, where can people find you? Caitlin Chesna uh, is just my Instagram. Uh, email Caitlin at AnthonyMindle.com. And then you, they can always go to AMAWATL Instagram too. And uh, we always you know, yeah, get back to people there too. The Atlanta school. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Caitlin, so much for being here. Thank you, Tony. I love you. Love you too. Thanks for listening to In the Moment. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us at Anthony Mindel and at AMAW Studios, plus all the worldwide accounts near you for more. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by We Audition. Receive 25% off with the promo code AMAW on weaudition.com. The video chat community to audition, rehearse, self-tape, and get advice, and hopefully book the fucking job.